0: Catechism, there are two primary sections to it. Uh, but what we begin with in these first five questions are actually the foundational questions that will set the set the course, if you will, for the remainder of the of the confession. We won't go ahead and outline that. We'll come to it in due course. But these first five questions are what Again, provide the direction. What should we? What should we expect to find? What? How will we answer the questions? What questions should we ask? Those are the issues that are before us. And as we looked last week at this question, one: What is the chief and highest end of man? Um, That that begins at the beginning in terms of what our purpose is, what our goal should be. Everything else that we're going to pursue in this catechism is understanding how we are to glorify God, how we can fully enjoy him forever, these being our our highest purpose. And so we come to question two, which leads right out of question one. If the chief and highest end of man is to glorify God, question two asks, how does it appear that there is a God? In other words, um, where where does our conviction lie uh, that we will write in question one how how are we so sure that there is a God? how is that apparent to us um, how is it that this must be the overarching principle of our lives, the chief and highest end and so there are a number a number of things that this answer gives to us in this question um, there's two parts to it. We'll read the question and the answer, and then we'll come back and look at those. How doth it appear that there is a God? The very light of nature in man and the works of God declare plainly that there is a God, but his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. Now, the first the first part of that addresses general revelation. Um, We typically think of God's revelation of himself in those two categories, general revelation and special revelation. The general revelation being what is common to all men and the special revelation being his additional revelation of his gracious purpose to the people that he has um, called unto salvation. This general revelation, as we're going to look at the scriptures, is is insufficient. I want you to see that uh, as we look at these scriptures, uh, it's not sufficient to accomplish what is needed in our lives. And why is that? It's because of our bent of heart. It's because of our sinfulness. Uh, what was plain? What is still plain? Uh, it is not sufficient to persuade a sinner's heart to love and worship this God. Because of Adam and Eve and their choice to rebel against God in the garden, because of that corruption of their nature, the animosity between man and his God, uh, it has led to what we saw not long ago in Romans 1, that suppressing of the truth and unrighteousness. And so we're going to see this, this question is leading us to consider especially the place of the Word of God and the role of the Holy Spirit in answering uh, this matter of revelation. And so we'll, we'll come to that. But first let's look at the general revelation of God. How does it appear that there is a God? The very light of nature in man The works of God declare plainly that there is a God. Look at Romans with me. Romans chapter 1, and we will begin in verse 18 and read through verse 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In these verses, we see uh, the sinful condition of men in terms of God's revelation. Uh, It opens up with the wrath of God being revealed from heaven, against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men what what is it that calls down the wrath of God from heaven well it is the rebellion the rejection the unrighteousness the the war of men who were created to serve God and love him and walk with him who are fighting against him who are as this text says suppressing the truth now it's it's a testament against the sinner, that there is something to resist. There, they're at war. They're at war with God. They're suppressing something. They're suppressing the truth. Uh, you can't um, effectively push against something that's not there. And this is this is just a constant and continual witness against the sinner. Um, why is he so resistant? What is he resisting? He's resisting the truth that he knows that God is. And how, how can we be sure that all men uh, stand condemned in this way? How, how can we be sure that uh, none have an excuse that would be sufficient? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a God. Well, God tells us in verse 19 that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. This is what our our larger catechism is referring to, the very light of nature in man and the works of God. These are two aspects of general revelation. The first that sometimes we overlook is we don't even have to look outside of ourselves. As created beings, everything about us tells us that we were created. We, We don't bring ourselves into this world We come into a world that we didn't make. Um, If we we know ourselves, as John Calvin said, if we know ourselves at all, it is in relation to God. Uh, A child knows they are a child because they know they have a parent. And all all the, the children of men, in their hearts, God has impressed upon them. If they, the moment they have self-awareness, they're confronted with that reality. They have not created themselves, and they, they are insufficient every day of their lives. They are confronted with the fact that they cannot provide for themselves. They cannot sustain themselves. If we, if we need rain to fall, to, to water the land, to grow the crops, we can't, we can't control that. We can't cause uh, the weather to turn. Um, if if we are cold and it's January, we can't we can't warm the world up. We can uh, put clothes on, but all of this, every moment of our lives, um, confronts us with the fact that we are creaturely. We're not we're not the creator. We can't. We're not. We're in a world that we don't control. We also have just the simple truth that we, ha- we are rational beings. We have a reason. Uh, the fact that we are able to, to know and learn and think and explore, all of that is a testament to a, a rational um, intelligence behind the creation of the world. Um, how is it that we can study and, and learn? Well... It's because there's a God who has created in such a way that there is order. There is purpose. There is permanence. And there is uh, the ability that we have to, to, lo- to learn and to grow. Um, there are many aspects of, of who we are that would testify to us. And all of this summed up in this light of nature in man. One that I think is important not to forget We read in Genesis that God created man in his image, and of course, that image was a reflection of his character. Um, It it reflected his righteousness, his holiness. Um, It reflected uh, his rationality. But one thing that we see Paul go on to explore in terms of this light of nature and man In Romans chapter 2, as we're studying in our uh, sermons, we're coming to verses that speak to the fact that man knows there is such a thing as morality. There is a moral compass uh, impressed upon each of us. Uh, The concepts of right and wrong, these aren't things that our culture just artificially impresses upon us, but all men of all cultures uh, have the capacity to understand and to know, in fact, uh, are born with a knowledge of some sense of right and wrong. And that, if anything, you know, nothing else, that, that testifies that there is, there is a God who has determined right and wrong. Uh, those are fixed and they are knowable. So the light of nature in man and the works of God, and this then brings us to consider around us, the world around us, as Romans 1 verse 20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so when we look around us, we look at the, the stars in the heavens, we look at the scale of the universe, we look at the, at the um, evidence of the design of the universe on a macro and a micro level. Uh, the more we study, the more we look, the more we see, all of it is testifying to us of, of what we knew even just from considering ourselves From that moment of consciousness, we know that these are the works of a divine creator. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. um, The works of God are a sufficient witness against us. If somebody were to say in heaven, standing there before the judgment seat, Well, God, I just i didn't know. I had no idea. I had no idea that you were here. I had no idea that you were real. I had no idea that you had made the world and and me, and I had an obligation to live for you. Um, All of this is going to condemn all men before God. There is no escape from the revelation of God. The works of God declare plainly that there is a God. It's clearly perceived, as Romans says here. Well, Let's look at Psalm 19. We see that theme of the the created order speaking to us of of the glory of God. Uh, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. It's rising is from the ends of the earth of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, this this is plain. It's it's sufficient. It's it's a wordless message, but it's an interesting uh, way of describing it. Uh, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Uh, It's a silent witness that's inescapably loud. It's, it's It's a deafening revelation in the sense that there is no escaping this. There is no part of the world we can go. We can't even close our eyes and escape the revelation of God. The works of God declare plainly that there is a God. And so in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is sharing the gospel with the men of Athens who in every way have been outside the covenant of God's grace for many, many generations. And yet they testify of a knowledge of God. What is the the city full of? It's full of idols to... Uh, dedicated to the worship of various gods. Uh, For all of their philosophy and for all of their wisdom, um, they cannot outrun this understanding. And Paul even points these men to one of their own poets, a um, philosopher-poet, to use their own words against them. In in um, Acts 17, verse 26, Paul says, And he made, that is God, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some even of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his, his offspring. There's this acknowledgement on the one hand, but then it's suppressed on the other. What, is, what does Paul go on to point out? Just the absurdity. If if you understand that in some way you're the, the creation or the offspring of of a divine being. Look at look at then what you turn around and and point to as and this is the God that that has accomplished this. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver, or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So your answer is that you came from the. Uh, generative creativity of a god you're you're his offspring but then you turn around and fashion that god you create the god and you point to that and say well there's the answer this is this is the god that we are to worship um, that has created all things well no you created that you can't even create yourself you're acknowledging that you're the offspring of some divine creative purpose But then you look at the uh, work of your own hands, gold or silver or stone. It's something you created, you thought up. It can't speak. It can't move. You think this is the God that made the world and you? Paul is just showing the foolishness of unbelief. And then, of course, he goes on to call these men to repentance, that that's God's call to them. Um, because he has appointed a day of judgment, he has sent his son to be the savior and there there's not going to be any plea of ignorance that will hold up in that day when he judges the world in righteousness. And so what this question first begins with is in answer to how does it appear that there is a God? Well, everywhere, where does it appear? How's it apparent? in every possible way. Everything that you could think of, everything you could point to, the fact that you can think, the fact that you exist, the fact that you have any conscious awareness at all, all points to this inescapable fact God has revealed His presence to you. Uh, There is the obligation to worship Him, the obligation to know Him. As Paul said, God has appointed these uh, periods and the boundaries of the dwelling places of all the men on the face of the earth to what end in verse 27? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And so there they are. They've been given all of the the goodness of God, which they don't deserve. Uh, They they continue to reject and resist and suppress this inescapable fact that there's a God who made all of this. They don't want to serve and worship him. They are rather enslaved to the thoughts of their own hearts and their own sin. And so do they find him? Well, only if God comes and seeks them. And that brings us then to the necessity of redemption and the fact that it is the special revelation of God and His personal presence and work that is required to overcome this. Here we have just all mankind at this point, in terms of general revelation, as far as we've gotten is, we're all guilty, we're all condemned, we all know better. We all can't, no no one can stand before God and say, I have a sufficient excuse for not loving you and living for you. God will not accept that. He has testified uh, plainly. He says it's clearly known. But the sinful condition is so pernicious. It blinds the eyes. It hardens the heart. And what do sinners do in the face of general revelation? To a person. They suppress the truth. And unrighteousness—that—that that is, perhaps the very essence of their sinfulness. They, having cast off the law of God in Adam, there in the garden, where God had said, "You—you you must live in obedience to my word." Adam chose to uh, follow his wife Eve into the lie of the serpent, that they could be as gods themselves, knowing good and evil. That. God's word was not the absolute truth or the guide that they must follow. And ever since then, that has been the posture of men toward this truth about God. And so what is required to overcome that is the supernatural grace of God. No person has any excuse and no person can overcome this within themselves. Just like they can't create themselves, they can't recreate themselves. They cannot give themselves eyes to see other than what they see. They cannot change the condition of their own heart. Their will is corrupted. They can't even want to do the right things. Their Their, uh, their power is weakened. They lack the strength to accomplish it. The love of God is not even present in their hearts. And the Scriptures describe them again and again, all mankind, of which we have come, as those who are dead, those who are spiritually dead. There's, there's nothing we can do for a dead person. But consider, what can a dead person do for themselves? That's the picture that the Scripture gives us of the hopelessness of sin. Jesus described it as the bondage of sin, um, the death of sin. Uh, Whoever sins is the slave of sin, and and it's a master that we cannot escape. It is within us when we have sinned uh, and given our hearts over to that. There is no recalling that ourselves, and so... All of that serves to condemn us. there's, There's no one that could legitimately challenge question one, answer one. The truth is that the chief and highest end of man is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. And no one can dispute that on any legitimate grounds. No one can. But what do we see? We see the sinful man Apart from that grace of God, suppressing that truth and unrighteousness, he does not want to acknowledge his chief and highest end is to glorify God. And therefore, being against God and not reconciled to him, not close to him, not freely and cheerfully giving himself to God, he can't enjoy him, uh, but rather languishes in misery. And so that's the sad condition of man. They they can't escape their purpose. They will not acknowledge their purpose. They rather will suppress it. They cannot enjoy God because they are at war with him. They cannot argue with the God who made them. Well, you didn't make it plain enough. That won't carry any weight before that bar of judgment when we all stand before God and he holds us all accountable. No one can say, Well, I just wasn't given a sufficient knowledge that you, of your existence. No, God won't accept that. And so it's, it is truly a sad and hopeless state until we come to this redemptive purpose of God, the covenant of grace. God is the one who has the power to change a heart, He has the power to raise the dead. He had the power of creation, and he has the power of recreation. He is the one, the only one, who could answer the guilt of our sin with a payment in such a way that we could be pardoned. And all of this is accomplished through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how does this, How does this uh, come into the revelation of God? How does it appear that there is a God? Well, in, in everything, it appears, there is no excuse, but there's also no joy in that. There's no acceptance of that apart from, and that's where we come to the second part of our answer, but his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. Only, only God coming to us in his grace to overcome the resistance of our hearts, to give us a new heart and new eyes. He, he doesn't just carry us off still hard and blind and dead and resistant, but he actually comes to our very hearts and begins his work within us. It's called the the new birth in the Scriptures, regeneration. He gives us a moment in which new life is created within us, and He opens what the Scriptures describe as blind eyes, or He takes out a heart of stone, as Ezekiel would describe it, and gives us a heart of flesh. And so for the first time, instead of suppressing the truth and resisting the truth of who God is because of a work within us to create a new life, to see him with new eyes that aren't blinded by sin, what do we behold for the first time? When we are looking at the same God who is good and gracious and loving, we now see a savior and a father and we see him as he is not distorted by sin and rebellion we see him as the one that we must have and must love and delight in and we see ourselves where before I mean, how can it be i mean speak about the the blindness of sin how can men, men and women simultaneously be the very definition of corruption and evil and wickedness and also at the same time have a constant struggle with pride how can people be so dependent and so weak and so helpless that we can't, we can't sustain our lives we can't secure our next breath we can't keep our own lives uh, continuing but we tell ourselves we have no need of anyone beyond ourselves and we have we're not dependent we have no obligation it truly is a sad and pitiful state of the blindness of sin and god comes and opens our eyes and not only do we see him in in a new light as as paul would say i used to consider jesus christ according to the flesh but now i see i truly see not only do we see god with new eyes but we finally see ourselves with only a measure with only a measure of a of a clarity that we have lacked to that point when god gives us this new this this th- the ears to hear the word that he comes and speaks to us what is the word well it's one that humbles us to the dust we we see ourselves in the light. Um, John Calvin used the illustration of of how uh, we we can just think of ourselves as having great powers of insight and vision looking down in the dirt. But he said the moment we raise our eyes and look up into the heavens and behold the sun, we're just completely overthrown. And uh, that speaks to us the powers of our observation being so limited. Uh, in the same way, when, when all we are looking at is, in this fallen world, comparing ourselves to other sinners, Calvin said it's, it's like uh, people whose, whose clothing is just completely soiled to be completely black, and they finally find um, something that is only a dark gray and they just praise it as the essence of whiteness. That's all they know. Well, when God opens our eyes to see him without just suppressing that truth in rebellion, not only do we see him, but we see ourselves in that light. We, Instead of being proud and sufficient, oh, we're humbled. We're broken down in in our pride. We are confessing our sinfulness to God, Lord, how is it? How can, I, how can I be so sinful? And God brings us to repentance. He impresses us with a need of His forgiveness. That's also being suppressed. And, and it is something that, again, we could look in the, the world of sin and see example after example and just weep over how ineffectual and, and how helpless mankind is, uh, this sense of guilt. The sense of guilt is not an illusion in this world. We have every reason to feel guilt. But people, apart from this re- regeneration of the heart, what must they do with that? They have no answer for that. It... It's a, another witness against them. I'm supposed to be sufficient. I'm supposed to be uh, full of joy in myself. I'm supposed to be um, doing, do, living life according to the standard that I set for myself. So why, I am doing all of those things. Why do I feel so guilty? And we see people... Uh, Masking that, numbing themselves to that, trying to medicate themselves, or take drugs, or what, any other things, distract themselves. But th- the reality is there, and that is only just the 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 glimmer, the the very the very muted, with the uh, as a blind man might uh, might sense something of the the warmth and the light of the sun even through blind eyes Uh, when we see when our eyes are opened when we're we're not closing them and blinded by sin we see uh, just a world of iniquity within ourselves we see the sinfulness of how self-centered we have been and, and how resistant to this good god that has come and revealed himself to us. And so it's it's a saving revelation. God does this unto our salvation. And it's it, the witness that is throughout the created world. The witness even within each person. In terms of that light of nature that we spoke about. It's only sufficient to condemn us. But only God's word <laughs> That he has spoken, and it is it is significant that it is the same instrument that he tells us he used to create the world. He spoke, and it came into being. Well, that is the same instrument that he brings now to recreate the world, and we have that in. Uh, we'll we'll look ahead. the The Word of God. There is there. It's not just an amorphous, undefined concept, but we, we can hold and read and have the Word of God, and that is what our hearts continue to need, and that, that speaks to the central place of the Word of God in our sanctification. We need further renewal, further recreation in the image of Jesus. Where should we expect that to come from? Well, it's going to be God taking his word and accomplishing that through his power in our lives. But his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. Now, it it is both. It's his word and his spirit. And this speaks to, again, the hardness of the sinful heart that a sinner can take up a copy of the scripture's, And read it cover to cover. They're they're putting themselves in the path of the most powerful expression of revelation. The word of God is hitting them again and again, but that isn't sufficient. The, The resistance that will shut their eyes to the testimony of creation is even sufficient. There have been people that have Devoted their lives to the study of the scriptures. You can think about in the days of Jesus, of all the people of Israel, the ones that had the, the luxury of spending the most time studying the Old Testament wasn't those men fishing on the Sea of Galilee, but it was the professional scholar class, the, the rabbis. The Pharisees, uh, many of them, uh, these could recite from memory the Torah. I mean, an amazing, an amazing thing to accomplish, but just also equally amazing that you could literally be able to sit there and recite from memory this word and have so little spiritual understanding of it. Jesus again and again would point them back to the very thing they knew by heart and say, do you see what you're doing in Matthew 15? Do do you see how you're setting aside the Word of God to pursue what you have purposed? And so it requires not only the Word but also the Spirit to sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. God himself must come and open our hearts with that work of regeneration to hear, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see. Uh, Otherwise, we can be just further and further hardened by this very revelation. Well, we ran out of time to look at these last three scripture references. We'll Lord willing, begin next week right there. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for your graciousness to us. Lord, we have no excuse in our, our natural state as sinners. There is no excuse before you. Uh, the world that you have made, uh, our very existence, our consciousness, all of that testifies uh, that there is a God and there is an obligation and a guilt that uh, comes from that knowledge. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon those who are still laboring in darkness, still captured in the kingdom of darkness. Oh so Lord, please come by your Holy Spirit and take your word and do that great work of opening their eyes. And, Lord, please call the church back to her ministry of your word rather than uh, the uh, words of the world that uh, sound so pleasing to the sinner's ear. Oh, Lord, only your word can give life, and we pray that you would uh, remove any messenger claiming to speak for you that would speak another word. Please bless us, Lord, in our study of the Scriptures. Bless us as a congregation. Bless our witness in this community. We pray that we would be uh, giving off the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we say and do, and that you would have mercy upon those who are on the path of destruction. Lord, please stir our hearts up to pray more earnestly, as we were reminded again this morning, whether it's those in our families or our neighbors, those we work with. Father, we pray that their salvation would, would be a great burden upon our heart that we would continue to bring to you. And thank you, Father, for hearing us and for welcoming us into your presence to worship you. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ who has opened up that way and for the presence and powerful working of your Holy Spirit to give us the ability once again to know you uh, with love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.